I got a call at home from the city desk. I was writing the traffic column, and I got a call at home and said, Doug, you got to get out there. The tra- traffic's backed up, and it's some kind of spring break for the black college kids. I went to Freaknik, a three-day event, and I stayed for two weeks. I was in Atlanta just kicking it. We basically stayed in the downtown area because the traffic was very hectic. Nobody's going to want to get on the highway and be harassed by state troopers and, and little county cops all over Georgia as they come to Atlanta for Freaknik. It took me in Buckhead an hour and a half to go about four blocks. Freaknik visitors have jammed Atlanta streets with spontaneous partying and cruising that caused traffic gridlock in many neighborhoods. I'm Chris Frierson documentary filmmaker based in New York City by the way of the greatest state in America shaped like a human hand, Michigan. Welcome to Freaknik, a discourse on a paradise lost. Back in New York, pre-Atlanta trip, when Savannah and I were trying to sort of put together this interview list of interesting people to talk to about Freaknik in Atlanta, we sort of happenstanced into DJ Smurf, a.k.a. Mr. Kali Park, uh, through a colleague. He's just a dope producer from Atlanta who coincidentally is responsible for some of my favorite early aughts jams. I was going to say guilty pleasures, but they're just treasures, really, including sexual themed songs such as Whistle While You Twerk. Whistle While You Twerk. By the African American group Ying Yang Twins and Miss New Booty by the Caucasian rapper commonly known as Bubba Sparks. These shits were the jam. Ay, yay, 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 yay. We wanted someone to sort of show us around Atlanta being outsiders, and we were tossing around ideas, and he had this idea just like, he's like, yo, just meet us at the Greenbrier Mall in East Atlanta. So we showed up at the food court, ate some Chick-fil-A, and started, you know, rapping, figuratively. From what I understand, Greenbrier Mall kind of has a legendary space in in Black Atlanta and in Freaknik's history, but more on that later. After perusing through the main thoroughfare of the Greenbrier Mall, which featured stores such as Mix and Match, Authentics, spelled with a K for some reason, Savvy Formal Wear, spelled with an I for some reason, you could tell that this spot used to be like an ill hangout spot for kids back in the day, like malls used to be before Amazon and the computer. There's kind of no wonder why this was the first place on Color Park's itinerary. So we got into his whip and started this random-ass drive across town. He wanted to show us something, but he said it was going to take a while because of Atlanta's notoriously gruesome traffic. <laughs> I'm just saying, no. <laughs> so where are we at? What? what? Where we so, at right so now? So we're downtown. We finna get on 20 East. Were these roads that were congested, freak nigga? You, this was a, you wouldn't, you couldn't even move. This, this is, is like 85, a, it's like 75. It's a six lane highway. No, this shit right here, because they shut all the, the exits. It was like martial law, brother. Because even when the exits were open, it was congested. Right. But they was like, we don't want y'all in certain parts of the city. So we're going to shut down the exits. So we're just like funnel you straight downtown. right. right. It's cool till you got to take a shit. <laughs> I'm just saying, that when shit got real. <laughs> say, hey, give me some Hennessy. Yeah, that shit sound good at first. <laughs> and people didn't mind. 
they, they didn't mind. That's 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 what was beautiful. You know, people they knew what it was. Like the right. party is in your car, on top of your car. For Sharon, Henry, Helen, and the Metro Boys, and the other Freaknik OGs, Freaknik was a wholesome campus event, a gathering at the HBCUs. But as Rico, Gip, Short, JT Money, and our other scholars have said, Atlanta was blowing up as a place to be for young black people. So naturally, Freaknik blew up too. By the late 80s, Piedmont Park and the AUC could no longer contain the festivities. And eventually, a couple years later, Freaknik took to the streets. Katrina Fuqua, brand manager at Magic City, was there. What was one of the wildest, craziest things that you saw at Freaknik? The thing that I saw at Freaknik, which was the craziest I had ever seen in my life, was when me and my girlfriend were on I-7585, downtown Atlanta, and the traffic came up to a complete standstill, and everybody got out of their cars, played music, and danced on the highway. We got out too. We got out. We when we we got out of the cars. We were dancing, and it was just like a party on the highway for about. It lasted for about thirty minutes to an hour. It was a while. It was a while before it finally ended. Because when the traffic finally started back, we everybody had to run back to our cars. Yeah. I can't imagine being like a middle-aged like white lady from right. Buckhead. And that's what was happening. Yeah. There were those people on the highway too. Those people who were just people that lived here were looking like, what in the hell is happening? We weren't in pants into We were just having fun. At the City Council Public Safety Committee this morning, not a word of criticism for the way police handled the huge gathering of black college students this past weekend. Police Chief Eldrin Bell admits traffic was a problem, but says only about 100 people were arrested, all on minor charges. Rodney Carmichael was there. I just remember the thing about Freaknik was, for me at that age, and, you know, in my life, you wanted to be able to floss. But if you couldn't floss, you just wanted to be a part of it. So, like, I had a little broke-down hoopty that would run hot if I got stuck in 15 minutes of traffic. But it's no way that I was going to miss Freaknik. So I loaded up with a couple of gallons of water and... You know, I had my boombox in the back seat because I didn't really have a, my sound system didn't work. Right. You know, I had a tape deck that was old and it didn't work. But you had to try to make it something. So, you know, I picked up a couple of my boys and we in the hoopty and we know we ain't gonna get no attention based on the car that we're in, but we gotta still get in the mix. I mean, I just remember <laughs> I mean, this isn't like the glorious Freaknik story or anything like that. But for me, that's that's what a couple of the Freakniks were, was just me trying to figure out in this all-night-long traffic jam how to keep my car from running hot <laughs> so that I could still be a part of the festivities right. and, and, you know, not be uh, getting clowned on the side of the street because, you know, it was smoke coming out of my hood. Um but, you know, I found a way to make it work. <laughs> Bun B was there. A lot of it was just parks, right? So a lot of it was just where a lot of traffic ended up getting diverted to. 
and you end up by this big park and then people ended up just parking into the park and getting out and it was, you know people were partying on the freeway when people get stuck in traffic they would just get out of their cars and just start partying on the freeway Just imagine if you're in five o'clock traffic, there's an accident up ahead of you, right? And you're in a piece of the freeway where there's, you know, the accident happened at the exit. So for this mile and a half between the exit that's in front of you and the exit behind you, nobody's going nowhere. Right. For the next two or three hours. But everybody is, do we not, but we're not leaving from school. We're not getting off work. We're all driving in from somewhere. So we probably got beer and liquor and shit in the car already from the drive probably already smoking weed in the car. So then it becomes like getting out, meeting people from other places, seeing, oh, you got Texas license plates too? Where y'all from? We from Dallas. Oh, we from Houston. You know what I'm saying? Then you see some girls somewhere in the car. So somebody goes over, start hollering at a girl. One of the cars in traffic got a loud system. So they just end up popping their trunk, opening their doors. Now we literally are partying on the freeway. Like you may end up partying with those people all weekend. Right. Everybody was going there for the same reason, but nobody knew nothing about the other people coming. Right? So if you never seen anybody from Detroit, you don't know nobody from Detroit, you're going to judge everything from Detroit about how the dudes in front of you with the Michigan license plates move. Right? And you see dudes with different hair. You might see somebody with some jerry curl. Oh, them niggas from L.A. You know what I'm saying? You might see somebody with some braids or something. Oh, them niggas ain't from here. They must be from New York or some dreads or something. Something like that, all these different, but we, we all here for the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And usually people trying to find a party or find some weed or some shit like that ends up being how people break ice. <laughs> Open your car doors. Turn the music Turn up. Turn the music up and party. Yep. yep. You get stuck, so traffic stop. You looking around, see see what females. I'm gonna tell you how crazy it was. The dummies who tried to come here and and throw parties at venues lost their shirts. Nobody was going to no fucking club. Word. You lost your shirt. I remember motherfuckers taking blood baths, trying to bring shows and shit, big concerts and shit. No nigga wanted to go inside no building. The party was in the streets. Right. Yeah, that's what it was. It's like going downstairs on Christmas and everything you ever wish for is up under the tree. It was the best event, I want to say, ever for a black college or a young adult. Freaknik 94-95 was the best time you could ever have. When you think spring break better than any MTV or fucking when they be in the pool throwing the, the, the little beach balls and shit. <laughs> no, no, sir. No, sir. Luke is here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, it's just apples and oranges. Right. You know, it was just the best shit ever, man. On some super lit double, double toll and trouble shit, Freaknik really acted as this awesome black melting pot. That's a Shakespeare reference. Macbeth. And Freaknik was like a banger that sort of literally encapsulated the remigration that was happening in Atlanta. Whether you were a well-to-do kid from Howard or some other university or a rapper from Houston or wherever the fuck, it was this place that you could meet all these different type of people your same age, relatively, that looked and felt like you, most importantly. 
our man's too short was there. Freak Nick was always on my birthday weekend. My birthday is April 28th. And I was thoroughly like, just like, this is it. I didn't hear about the Freak Nick 91 and 92 when it was brewing and it was a college thing. I didn't hear about that, but it caught my, I probably, I got booked for a show. That's what it was. So I, I'm booked at a show somewhere that Freak Nick weekend 93. We we hear it's a big event. We hear about it. Um, we show up. We came out with probably like, you know, you know, three, four dozen homies. Like we came out like mob deep and linked up with a bunch of dudes from like Detroit and, and just kind of just became like a, you know, a us thing. I never seen girls with Daisy Duke booty shorts on with butt cheeks hanging out the bottom of the shorts and the girl jump out the sunroof and start twerking on top of the car or just jump out and just, you know, just just not even just the dancing part, just the ass walking down the street. Just the, the shape of it, the, you know, the exposure of it and just how it was just, it was exactly what it said. It was a freaky picnic. And it got, it was so, Piedmont Park is huge. So for this picnic to have been, take to have taken over Piedmont Park for two years, and then this next, this third year, whatever it was, I don't know if 93 was the third or the fourth, but it's this event in Atlanta. Like after 92, something major happened, and it, everybody told the world it's this event. So we were all prepared for the next year. I'm going to the next year. I'm, I'm not missing this. So to my understanding, it was a Piedmont Park thing. But 93, it got too big for the park. And that's when we showed up. It spilled out and it went from Piedmont Park all the way to the, to the um, AUC, where all the, ca- uh, the black colleges are, and everywhere in between. So it was literally like a Mardi Gras sort of kind of vibe. And I mean, it just was like the best traffic to be stuck in. It was the, the best walking you could do, just walking around the park find you a spot and stand still whatever you did whatever event you whatever you did it was just like it was like oh my god so as we've mentioned before especially as it pertains to freaknik history can be sort of relative you know shorts dates are not particularly correct but they're correct to him and that's kind of what's important and makes things not matter but we sat down with Sharon, our sort of resident OG expert on all things real. And she sort of broke down Freaknik into three phases. Because I hear often there was like these two, to be very basic about it, like two or three iterations of Freaknik. There was the OG shit. <laughs> Thank you. That's a compliment. All right. Thank you. There, then there was this transition period, which uh, I'm just going to say was say was ninety one to ninety four, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then there was the end, which is ninety five to ninety eight. Mm-hmm, good. Um, that's sort of the way in my mind it looks like. Let's deal with one and two iterations. Yeah. Okay, so we already went over the one, mm-hmm. the first iteration, right? Right. The OG one. Then you have the second one. I aged out. And it started to become something where students from Canada were coming. It was still a student, primarily student event, black student event, right? But it wasn't just Atlanta students. 
it wasn't just regional. We're talking students coming in from all over the country. This is the crowd that Mayor Bill Campbell doesn't want in Atlanta for Freaknik 95. Thousands of college students from all across the country. Freaknik 95, baby, M Town in the I'm having a It was, but it was still a college event, black college or black students coming to Atlanta. It became problematic for the city because it, we just, it clogged up streets. Um, it was disruptive in a way that they weren't prepared for. I totally get where Sharon's coming from. I mean, to me, she's sort of intimating like the changes of something you started and, and watching it move and evolve negatively or positively over time. I mean, if I started Woodstock 1994, I would be pissed if I saw what happened at Woodstock 99. Outside of that awesome DMX performance. Everyone started hearing about Freaknik and everyone started coming down. But you know, what, what happened? Michael Bond, who was there at the very end of the first iteration, told me about it. Well, in, uh, I guess in 1989, it was in Washington Park, uh, closer to the AU Center, uh, but adjacent to the new MARTA rail system. And I was working on the, as a volunteer student organizer for the Maynard Jackson re-election campaign. He had been out of office, Andy Young was in, and so Andy was going out, so Maynard was running again. And so I said, hey, you know, Maynard, you know, you ought to get some get involved in this Freaknik thing. <laughs> I said, there's all these college students. We can get two buses with volunteers. You know, Maynard had the best T-shirts, you know, because he had these, these fire engine red T-shirts with his name across it, Maynard, and his script. But they were raised, you know, puffy, yeah. kind of, oh, it was so fat, you know. And I said, man, people are going to love these shirts. We give out these shirts, and people wear them. Students will get turned on, you know, by right. the Manor Jackson campaign. So we got two buses. You know, we had at least 100 people on both of those buses. And we pulled up in Washington Park. It was already packed. Right. The, the people get off the bus. They're all wearing red. We're all wearing the same thing. I never saw a single person by the end of the day that had on another Manor shirt. It was so many people at the park. It was over 5,000 people packed in this. It was so many people. And that's when I realized, I said, this thing has just become huge. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was huge. And so the next year when they tried to get a permit, the city wouldn't give them a permit, so they went to DeKalb County for a couple of years. Crazily enough, the city actually turned Freaknik upon itself. If Freaknik planners could have gotten that permit, Maybe it would have stayed in the parks. Speaking of being young and doing stupid shit, Freaknik, like, what is the craziest shit that you've seen at a Freaknik event? So, for me, it was Piedmont Park, and this ain't got nothing to do with no drinking and sex, no, no shit. We, they, I forget who was doing the shows out there at the park, but we was were supposed to perform, me and Shadi, at Piedmont Park, and... I don't know if somebody shot a pistol or what the fuck happened. A fucking 
when I tell you it was like a movie with the whole goddamn freaknik crowd that was out at fucking uh, Piedmont Park started running. And I was standing there we had 12, with, with big ass beats. You remember them cases that the Technique 1200 just been? Had them fucking Technique 1200s. And I saw them motherfuckers running toward me and I turned around and started running with the turntables. I was, you see how small I am now? I was smaller than that then. And I remember I couldn't outrun the motherfuckers, so I remember dropping the turntables and jumping and tucking and rolling, and rolling over like this here, while the motherfuckers ran past me. And when I got up, the turntables were still there. That, to me, that's the scariest I ever been. I thought I was finna get fucking trampled. If you ain't never been in no fucking crowd like that, I think somebody shot a pistol. And to see niggas, you know how niggas scatter. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Got you ain't got. That. You ain't got to shoot it twice. Niggas, niggas got somewhere. But I had them fucking turntables, and I started running. I couldn't. I couldn't get nowhere. My pants started falling down and shit. And I just remember dropping them bitches, and I, I jumped and rolled. That's my craziest freaking story. I was fearing for my life. Well, I mean, people complain, you know, to the city council people at the time, you know, hey, don't let these kids come back. Where did they come from? Because it really came out of the blue. Because right. they hadn't been in Washington Park before. And even though people may or may not have heard about the college, for them it was a college picnic. Um, but after the, the community was basically shut down, you know, because cars couldn't get in, people had to walk to get to the park, you know, once, you know, at a certain, after a certain time. And it was just, you know, just packed every square inch of the park with a person, went anywhere to sit down, went anywhere to lay down. <laughs> You know, set up a chair or anything. I mean, it was just wall-to-wall people. Now, for someone who was my age at the time in '89, I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it was phenomenal. This is all the most beautiful women in the world. You know, it, you know, you got all you want to drink. You got all you want to eat. You know, it's a little slice of paradise. Uh, but you know, for regular citizens that own homes <laughs> and lived in, and voted in the community, I mean, they were incensed. And so, Freaknik didn't attempt to come back to Atlanta until I think about 93 because DeKalb County wasn't going to give them a permit again. Maynard was was the mayor, and the story that I was told is that when the organizers tried to apply for a permit, the city kind of didn't know what to do. So what they said, well, you know what? We don't really know how to stop this, So, but if we deny them a permit, because they were trying to get a permit for Piedmont Park, you know, our big regional park, they said if they don't have a permit, they can't have Freaknik. Right, because there'd be no place to have it, and so they 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 adopted that position. But what they subsequently did is that they created the traffic jam, because when they weren't allowed inside of Piedmont Park, people still showed up from all over the region, all over the country to go to Freaknik, and so that created the traffic jam because there was no place for them to go. So they actually created a larger problem. It was proven very foolhardy. Yeah. Because, I mean, of course, people came and the people discovered that, hey, it's cooler to jam the traffic and party in the street than it is to be in the park. Right. And now a word from our sponsors. When was the first time that you heard about Freaknik? So my first, first, the first time I ever heard about it was a city desk telling me to get up and go out and cover it. That's the ever-elusive Doug Monroe famed former traffic writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's like the, uh, for those that don't know, the, the New York Times of Georgia, if you will. 
he was writing during the times of Freaknik. And during that time, he ran like a, a super dope traffic column called Monroe Drive. Like you get it because it's his name and it's about driving. And it's like transportation. Anyway, we reached out to him for months before going to Atlanta. But somehow he found us and he called Savannah while we were down there. We met at the varsity and had a conversation. They said all the streets are blocked up and stopped. So I had the presence of mind to go catch Marta at the Lindbergh station, and I got off at um, the 10th Street station and walked up to Peachtree. The MARTA he's referring to is Atlanta's public transit, the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority. Traffic was completely stopped in every direction on every street, and kids had gotten out of the car and were dancing and drinking and partying and playing music. I didn't know what was going on, and uh, so I had a vague idea after what the city desk had told me. So I just started interviewing people. Then I found these white people crying. And I said, huh. I said, well, what's wrong? And they had, had planned a, uh, some kind of uh, wedding reception in a big building near there. <laughs> Nobody could get there. So all the money they spent and all the people from out of town, they couldn't get there. And so the girl was out crying. I interviewed her and then I talked to kids and tried to describe what was going on. And then I had to go in and write something. What were the kids saying? Like I just said, where are you from? And, you know, they tell me they were from, you know, New Orleans or from uh, Charlotte or whatever, you know. And uh, they said, this is our spring break. Right. You know, this is a college spring break. And um, we're just partying. I mean, when you got off the MARTA, not knowing what you were... And, well, I knew that the, all the streets were backed up. And then all the streets were backed up. But it really got wild when I got up to Peachtree because people were, had gathered up there even if their car was parked on uh, 10th Street or whatever. And so and I think I got off at the 10th Street station, went up there, and um, everything was stopped, and people were dancing, some of them were dancing on top of cars, and, and it, you know, drinking and dancing and listening to music, and then these people are over here crying. And so I tried to interview everybody I could and uh, went back, and then I, the next, I covered it for however long, you know, the next day I got out in it and got stuck on Lennox Road for hours. And I would just sit there, and then I'd see a photographer from the paper, and we'd compare notes, and and I'd interview everybody around, and and all the, the white people were mad because they couldn't get out of their driveway, and uh, the kids were having fun, and I didn't know it was coming up. And normally, if there was the cops would tell me if they thought there's going to be a big traffic jam, I didn't hear a word from any of the cops I normally heard from, and I saw some of them, and they were hysterical. They didn't know what was going on. Um, <laughs> They were yelling at people, and um, everybody's yelling back, and uh, it was just crazy uh, because it was just like out of the blue for me. I, I didn't. So I look back on it and said, "Well, you know, somebody, somebody somewhere should have known what was going to happen." But it was so spontaneous, and I've read about it. And it was so much bigger than it had been before, right. and nobody noticed it before because it was just at parks and stuff. But then all of a sudden, everybody got the word to come to Atlanta, and so. Um, it was just a madhouse, and people people were mad if they couldn't get to the hospital. Or the, so some people were very angry about it, the right. people who lived in Atlanta. I can't get out of my yard. Somebody peed in my yard. And, um, and then and I'm over here having fun and taking videos of somebody's butt, and it was just it was insane. And so I tried to write it objectively, and every time I wrote something about it, I had a phone line for 
traffic tips. So people would call in furious that either I was a racist or I was pro freak nicker or whatever. And but nobody was. Everybody was angry who called. I look back on. It, I think you know. To me, it's an example of just not knowing what's going on in your community. We managed to link up with another member of the intrepid AJC squad from around that time, Jim Achimudi. Atlanta had a high crime rate and a high murder rate uh, through the 70s and 80s, and it abated a lot during the 90s. But uh, it was, you know, you all the time heard about we did have, I, we weren't the worst in the country, but we were usually in that top 10 or 15, mm. along with Detroit and St. Louis and maybe Memphis and New Orleans and Jacksonville. I mean, and uh, there were a number of cities that were always in there, and we were we were usually not too good. And, and then our rate started going down uh, by the mid-'90s. But so, you know, the fear of racial transition and the fear of crime was what drove a lot of the white people out. We have come finally to the place where the Atlanta underground system, the metro, doesn't come. The white northern suburbs of the city, Cobb County, a place where they've petitioned down the years to keep the subway train out, precisely because they don't want blacks and Latinos in their midst. That foreign guy with the fancy accent kind of hits a nail on the head, but... If you really think about it, it's a nail that should have been struck 40 years ago when Marta was conceived and started construction. And it's one of the reasons why our our uh, our rail system, our transit, is only in three core counties right now. Georgia has more counties in any state except for Texas. There are counties in Georgia that are so small they have fewer people living in them than I went to high school with. I'm not kidding. Right. Uh, and uh, the so there are little little counties in Georgia, 159 counties. Metro Atlanta is spread across 28 counties in in North Georgia, and uh, the of those 28 counties, there's about seven or eight at the at the urban core of it, and only three of them are members of MARTA, the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit System, the subway system. Uh, it's the county. I'm actually in DeKalb County here, just to go that way 100 yards, you're in Fulton County where Atlanta is, and then Clayton County where the airport is, to the south is in it. But most of these other places, all these other counties have had chances to vote into the transit system, and they've turned it down, and they haven't voted. It's been years since they voted, but uh, when these things were being turned down in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the last transit vote, I think was about 1990, the race thing was very much a dividing thing. You would actually hear people, white people up in Gwinnett County say, we don't want to get them, uh, them to come on, uh, to get on that train and come out to our place to steal our TV sets, which is just the most ludicrous thing you right. can think of. Anybody's going to do that, it's not going to be doing it on a damn train. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out a few weeks after I left Atlanta, there was going to be a vote on a referendum in Gwinnett County to expand Martyr for the first time in 30 years. I found out about it from Doug. I'm just to, to refresh my memory about the votes against MARTA. And this, this is where it all went wrong. Is my point, the, they asked me to do an article, and I said the, the biggest problem in Atlanta history was not extending MARTA into the suburbs mm-hmm. because that's why we have all the traffic now. Right. And uh, not extending MARTA in the suburbs, and they're still having votes on it. There's a vote this spring in Gwinnett County 
which has been voting against MARTA since the 1960s, and now there's some opposition growing to it, having heavy rail into Gwinnett County in 2019. So that's for 50 years right. they've been voting against it. Right. And now Gwinnett is very diverse. It used to be an all-white Republican conservative, and um, most observers will say that the suburbs voted against having MARTA because of race. They did not want black people coming into virtually all white counties right. that grew up during the white flight from 1960 to 1980. Um, about half of Atlanta's white citizens moved out to the suburbs. As I've said a million times before, I'm from Michigan. And naturally, I'm a big proponent of our biggest and blackest city and the struggles it's faced over the years. We're talking about Detroit. One of these struggles has to do with mass transportation. So I'm no stranger to these referendums, these votes, wherein suburban whites, as an Atlantan might say, vote down trains, planes, and automobiles that would allow blacks and browns to get to their communities. On election day, voters in Southeast Michigan will be asked to approve a transit millage Metro Detroit's transit system has long been described as disjointed and inefficient, and this plan is an effort, proponents say, to fix that. This plan would expand and add bus service and other transit options in Metro Detroit and local service to unserved areas. They voted that shit down in Detroit, and as I later found out, they voted that shit down in Atlanta, too, with respect to Gwinnett County and MARTA. But I didn't really have an understanding of how MARTA was perceived in Atlanta, specifically in the suburbs of Atlanta. My go-to source on all things suburban and white in Atlanta, the Joneses. Well, I think that it was, that's where I think people thought about rapid transit and, you know, the segregation of areas, not just neighborhoods, because people weren't necessarily going to move, but there was this fear that, you know, the people were going to be coming around. Right. And I think that had a big impact on um, things racially because it, it was built there was an east-west line mm -hmm. that was the first line that was built and um, you know it, it gave people access and that was the big fear where the people were coming in your neighborhood you know and there was white flight here in Decatur where we live in the early 70s people were just leaving mm -hmm. and Decatur was a it became almost like a ghost town in a way. And then MARTA came shortly after that. I think MARTA was where it really, and, you know, I don't, who was mayor at that point in time? Michelle, maybe? No? No, he was. I don't know, Mayor, that's a good question. But, but, the, but MARTA's a, MARTA was important, maybe, I think, maybe in, the, in the understanding of, I think, desegregation and how really to do it, because we were slow here. I mean, yeah, it was mandated, but. There were parts of DeKalb County that weren't were forced into desegregation in the right. 70s. And we had buses. We had a really big bus system. My father was actually in advertising, and he helped on the campaign for, um, I guess he worked through MARTA with the people who were developing it to, you know, put out the information mm -hmm. of 
it was a thing that was people were uncomfortable with. I mean, we they wanted people to get to and from business, and it made sense. But right. there were people that were really uncomfortable with the idea. Right. And there's a really horrible, horrible thing about MARTA and what it stood for. And people would say it. Was it like moving Africans? Africans rapidly through Atlanta? And it was just, I mean, I look back and it's just like, it makes me just so uncomfortable. So what is this? I'm going to ask you this, but what exactly is this neighborhood then? Decatur. This is Decatur. Decatur. Yeah. All right. Yeah, this is Decatur. At Eastside Hope. How far is Decatur from like downtown? What, what, about 10, 15 minutes on the highway? I've been doing a lot of like research in the AJC articles and talking to like white people who were middle-aged back then. And one of the things that always comes up is like Atlanta's always fancied itself like a very progressive city in certain regards. Yeah. But these white people were like, who thought they were progressive? Yeah. Were freaked the fuck out. Because there was an element that they hadn't been exposed to. That's the other side. Right. So those cool, progressive white people, it was an element that they hadn't been exposed to. Right. You know, and that changes everything. They were everywhere, too. Like, you know, when you hit one of them, them pregnant spiders and all the spiders jump off his ass and they scatter everywhere, that's how many niggas was here. <laughs> oh, shit. And now, another sponsor time. Turn right at the next street. The Joneses live in Decatur, and so does Rodney Carmichael. When we were at his crib, he kind of sat down and, and explained things to me. What is Decatur? <laughs> wow, okay. And the thing that you don't know unless you live here is there are two Decaturs. There's, there's white Decatur and there's black Decatur. Uh, you know, growing up in black Decatur, we called white Decatur downtown Decatur. You know, it's a city unto itself. Right. It's right on the edge and the outskirts of Atlanta. But black Decatur is this, this whole other thing, right? It's a suburb and it's part of DeKalb County. And, you know, this this part of South DeKalb County that is, you know, historically been one of the wealthiest enclaves for black Americans, but, you know, also has other economic parts to it. Right. You know, um, it's a lot of a lot of trapping and, you know, all of that stuff that you hear from from Gucci Man and uh East Atlanta and all of that. That's basically Decatur as well. Right. It's like the outskirts of, you know, Decatur and East Atlanta are 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 right next door to each other. So with East Atlanta being closer to the city and then mm-hmm. Decatur being like right over there here. There you go. There you go. And so, you know, Atlanta and and Southwest Atlanta specifically and Decatur have always kind of had that uh that kind of relationship. Right. You know what I'm saying? With Decatur being the suburb and Atlanta obviously being the city. And where's Bankhead? Um how do I describe where Bankhead is? It's it's there's a there's a street um there's a street called yeah, Northside Drive that's right on the edge of downtown. They're the dividing line sometimes between 
rich and poor, sometimes between black and white. And Northside Drive is kind of like one of those streets, you know, Bankhead starts and stops on Northside Drive, mm-hmm. you know, um, Ponce de Leon is one of those streets. Almost all the streets that cross Ponce de Leon change names because that's definitely was one of those dividing lines. And I mean, you can still see it today. Like if you go on one side of Ponce, you see million dollar homes. It's, you know, Piedmont Park, which is the primary uh, park in Atlanta. It's, you know, the closest thing Atlanta has to a central park, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And then you cross the other side and there's still basically projects on either side of Ponce. Right. You know, um, and so those names changing was a way back in the day to to separate black from white. Right. You know, that's just part of the segregation that's built into the city. So you can be like, you live on the same street, but when someone knows your address, yeah, they know you live on this part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it it, it wasn't even, uh, um, it's not even considered the same street in a lot of ways, at least back then mm-hmm. you know because the, the names change right you know like moreland avenue is a you know big popular street in atlanta but once it crosses ponce it becomes briarcliff you know and that's emory university and you know that whole side of atlanta right um you know moreland avenue is is little five points and further down into east atlanta and the hood right. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different vibe right. so yeah Rodney has some dope shit to say as, you know, someone who grew up there. You know, I'm an outsider to Atlanta, and everything still sort of perplexed me about neighborhood breakdowns in that city. So I spoke to to Short, also an outsider, Oakland native, about his perspective as a transplant. I bought a house in a neighborhood called Guilford Forest. It was um, famous because that's where Too Short lived, and that's where Creflo Dollar lived. (laughs) And people would just cruise around and just look at your house and shit. It had this, it had this sort of upscale vibe, like a Black Beverly Hills kind of vibe, and it was just amazing the people that you'd pull in these neighborhoods, and you know you say, well, every house over here is black people. He like fuck that, you lying? Like no, every one of these fly ass houses is black people, but that was amazing in itself, but what was super amazing was that when you leave out of that subdivision and drive into the next one, it's all black. And the next one, it's all black. And there's all these nice houses. And then you go, but what the fuck? Like You're like, no, bro. It's not all these subdivisions are black. This whole fucking side of town is black. I'm like, if you see a white person over here, they probably coming to repair the goddamn washing machine or something. They, they going to work at, I don't, I don't know what the fuck. Like, like that shit yeah. felt good, man. I'm in Oakland where... If a police officer pulls up next to me at a red light and looks at me and I'm in a uh, Mercedes, he has only one choice. I got to pull it over. And he's got to make up some reason why he pulled me over and then get me out the car and search me. And that's just routine. Like, officer, I was at a red light. I couldn't have done an illegal lane change because I was sitting right next to you at the light. I just went straight. You changed lanes. He's like, just take it up in court and give me a ticket for changing lanes illegally. Stupid ass shit. Um, to me, it says that my my 15 years in Atlanta, I we talk about this good old boy system that is like a, a catchphrase for white guys who do business together, Southern style, and and they give each other special favors and treatment. But Atlanta has a black man good old boy system too. 
and it's real effective. So Fulton County and the all-black good old boy system, I, I like that a lot. I, I really thrived in that system. I met a lot of friends. I'm talking like from judges to prosecutors to defense attorneys to police officers to officials that work where you need to get permits for this right. and that. It's just you go make friends. You don't go in there bribing people. You just go in there and they treat you a different way because they're like, oh, you a black man doing good. Oh, I know you too short. Oh, I love your music, you know. Atlanta. Next time on Freaknik, a discourse on the paradise lost. Freaknik was the city. The city of Atlanta was jumping from the underground to the malls to the, you know what I'm saying? I forgot a whole lot of dates and years for many different reasons. <laughs> but uh, I remember going to Freaknik. Probably my first time going there was uh, to promote music. Atlanta. Freaknik, A Discourse on a Paradise Lost, is a production of Mass Appeal and Endeavor Audio. Created, produced, and narrated by myself, Christopher Frierson. Executive produced by Chris Colbert of DCP Entertainment. Produced by the one and only Savannah Jeffries, Mark Grandy, and Matt Graylin of Mass Appeal. Edited by Cher Vincent, Keith Meminger, and the dude with the best name in the office, Chris Bravo. Executive produced by Dave Easton and produced by Hannah Cope of Endeavor Audio. Technical producer, Nick Pacciano. Assistant edited by Jefferson Espedia and Louis San Giorgio. Archival production by Jillian Bergman. Associate producers, Jackie Garofano, Brandon Tago, Adele Coleman, and John Kolnowski of DCP Entertainment. We were mixed by the lovely Sue Polino. Music supervision by Carolyn Mislove. And our finishing producer was Stephanie Pacciano. Thanks again, Steph. And last but not least, talent booking and all-around support, the Honorable Roberta Magrini. Atlanta. Atlanta.